Thanks, Raul. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. It's really good to be with you again. Uh, last week, I had the privilege, it was a privilege, to preach Romans 4 down at BCC Ballard. And my friend is the pastor down there. He's taking paternity. His wife delivered their second son, Caleb, just this morning. So it was fun, though, to see Bethany, which exists, as you probably know, in six different parts of the city. They're all different, but they're all good. And, and uh, it was just an honor to be down there. And I'm you know, midway through Romans 4, it's a pretty exciting chapter, and I'm like just going for it, just yelling like crazy, and then they're all just looking at me, and I'm like, oh yeah, you're from Ballard. Like, we're going to just like chill it out a little bit, you know, and it was like, I couldn't let, put the cat back into the bag or however, like, it went okay, but I'm glad to be back, and if it's okay with you, I plan on preaching Romans 5 because... We will continue this series, The Way Forward, and God has an audacious message for you today. In the midst of all that's not right in the world, in the midst of lamenting lives lost yesterday in Pittsburgh and a week of fear nationally and things that people in this church are going through, in the midst of all of that, by God's divine sense of humor, we come to Romans 5. That in the midst of the challenges we face, God is saying, I've got the best news for you that supersedes anything you'll go through. The best news, God's new relationship. So I'd love to just pray and we will begin. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. We pray now for your word to challenge and inspire and so uplift us, God, that we will realign our eyes and realign our hearts Unto the hope that God only you can give us. We stand in solidarity with people in our nation who are hurting this morning. We stand in solidarity with Hebrew brothers and sisters that lost loved ones yesterday. We stand in solidarity. And yet, God, in the midst of the solidarity and the lament and the pain, you want to teach us that pain has something to give us yet more hope, and more joy, and in that, God, you're saying it's the best news ever. And so we will cling to both what you are uh, allowing us to see in culture, and yet the hope you're allowing us to see this morning in your text. And all God's people said, amen. The way forward, week five, Romans five, the best news. You know, if you've been coming a while, that I'm an adventurer, and a lot of that took shape for me when I left college. I had studied American travel literature, I had read the classics, I had written my thesis, but I thought, I need to go out and see America, because remember, life is more than just what you think about. It's what, how you live. You probably heard that from me before. So I had all the book knowledge about America, but I wanted to go out and experience it. And so there was a white van and I lived in my van as I traveled around the country. I thought it would be a good idea because I'd had issues with this temperamental band, van to buy the AAA, uh, you know, tow package. And as a AAA member, you get five free tows in a calendar year. I left Spokane and headed east. And by the time I'd hit North Dakota, I had used all said five tows. And... 
Man, you talk about, like, I called it, I I wrote a book about it, actually, uh, to which I published at Kinko's. Yeah, you've never read it, but my book was called Breaking Free. What it should have been called was Breaking Down, because, man, that was the story of my journey. Breakdown, 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 breakdown in North Dakota. You know, like, so many stories forged by the breakdown. Breakdown in Tallahassee, breakdown in Arizona, and these breakdowns became these fantastic adventures. Did I ever tell you where I had a warrant out for my arrest in Arizona? Different story. True story. I'll tell you some other time. But the breakdowns caused me to want something different. And so when I got to Michigan, still on my way east, you know, six, eight weeks into the journey, I was so frustrated by the breakdowns, I pulled over, side of the road, I went to the back of the vehicle in this Volkswagen van, Pop the top, I'm looking at it, and I have no business looking into the engine. I'm just like staring. I'm like, and I'm like, this is pointless. But I'm so hungry for something to be different. And then I saw it. Like, like, what did you see, Scott? Well, there was like these two cords. Like, it could have been the flux capacitor for all I knew. I don't know what the cords in the, but it didn't look right. They were, they were, they kind of like, you know, just going together, but not really. And I'm literally, the engine's just kind of sputtering and coughing and barely running. I'm only getting like, you know, 3,000 RPMs out of this thing. I'm like, enough. And I just grab these two cords, plug them in, and boom, like started to hum. Like it was amazing. Now, there were future breakdowns. Like that. But I will tell you this. For a while, the vehicle ran great. And the point was, the joy that encompassed on the trip from the previous breakdowns, superseded had I traveled with no breakdowns at all. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't take it for granted. I, I would hit places. Like, I got to Maine and the sun coming up out of the Atlantic. And I'm like, this is so good. And I would go back to the van and the fact that it ran and I could start the heater. Like, I was so grateful. Because the breakdowns that I had gone through made me realize when the car was running effectively, it's like, this is how it was meant to be. And when we get to Romans 5, Paul's saying, there are breakdowns in the story of life. But because of Christ, but because of who Jesus is, there is a new peace available, a new hope available, and ultimately a new joy available. And remember, Paul's saying, you will go through hard times. But if this story of Christ is true, and Paul says it is the truth, it will supersede the challenges you face with a new joy available. He's telling this great story of faith. He's taking us through Romans 1, 2, and the beginning of chapter 3 to say, something's wrong here. But God, in verse 20 of chapter 3, but God has superseded the sin of the world and interceded to bring Jesus into the courtroom of human experience to change things. And in Romans 4, which Raul delivered last week so wonderfully, Romans 4 is an illustration of of sinfulness and new hope in the faith in Christ as lived out in the person of Abraham. If you missed last week, you can just go read Romans 4. You can listen back to the messages that have been given but Paul's saying this is Abraham like he wasn't perfect he was a sinner too and yet he believed and it was credited as righteousness because he walked in the life of faith and he uses Abraham Abraham as this illustration Romans 5 makes this shift Romans 5 today if you look at the words of the text instead of third person or second person voice, the, the narrative voice changes in chapter 4 to chapter 5 to talk about we and to talk about us. 
And to say that this is our story, we, 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 us, 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 like this is us. And God wants to bring something to life in you this morning, church. And this is our big idea, that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, Paul will develop in Romans 5, because of the cross, our own suffering will only be a part of the story. But hear me, church, our own suffering will be a part of the story. But because of the cross, our own suffering will only be a part of the story. And in the end, joy is possible in our new standing with Christ. And this is the greatest news, the best news for any and all people. And I'll tell you, before we dive into Christ's suffering, this is a hard one. It is. And as your pastor, I get to say hard things to you. I do. And I would be better served to just end with like, yeah, we suffer, right? We've hurt, right? We've all been through painful situations, right? And when you, when you in the Northwest, we can preach this, this narrative of suffering and people will align with you. But when we preach the hope through suffering, you start to feel some dissonance in the room. This makes me feel uncomfortable. Some of us, we were raised in an ethos of nationalism or triumphalism or something where the faith is always supposed to be easy. But Romans 5 is meant to challenge your socks off that you will hurt. But God's hope will result in joy for his glory as new life is available. It's a challenge. But I'm, I'm ready to challenge you this morning. You ready to be challenged? All right, let's look at this first point of our outline. If you will allow me, we're going to look at, we're going to start in verse 6 through 10. We're going to talk about Christ's suffering for us. Remember I said the narrative voice changes. Paul says, we, 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 us, us, us. This is our story. And in Romans 5, he says, verse 6 through 10, at just the right time, Christ suffered on our behalf. Look at verse 6 through 10. You see at just the right time, Paul says, when we were still powerless, it's not about our power, it's about his, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to come back to verse 8. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now this is a mouthful, and this is that we are back into the core theology of the faith. So we have theologians in this room. I've got a couple of my friends, Ken and Tom. They could actually come forward and teach this better than I could about theories of atonement. But just go with me, gentlemen, because here's what you're going to learn in Romans 5. There are different theories of atonement, different ways in which we've been set right with God. When we look at the narrative of Scripture, we're always trying to look at the narrative of God's big story. It's all one story. It's all one story. We were lost, and through Christ's work on the cross, through, through God's work in our lives, God so pursued us, a new relationship is available. Now, that, what that relationship is called is atonement. It's called setting things right. That we've been from broken sinners, Romans 1, 2, and 3, to now righteousness. We've been, in God's eyes, viewed as just. And there are different ways to unpack those theories of atonement. Different ways to just kind of make it make sense for our human understanding. But here in Romans 5... Paul's saying, the demonstration is this. Okay, that's a, okay, he's just gonna break it down. Look at verse eight. The demonstration of God's love is, is what? That while we were sinners, 
Christ died for us. And we, we will pause there because that's, that's a mouthful. It's a mouthful to get out. It's a mouthful to comprehend. It hurts to say that God demonstrated his love so much for us that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. I'm a father, and I would lay down in front of traffic for anyone in my family. And there are people in my tribe, there's people in our small group, our extended family, that would do that for my kids. That's how deep their love runs for my tribe. But God sent his son to die for us. That's a, that's a hard one to comprehend, because our, our mind is so finite. But Paul says here in Colossians 1.20 that through Christ he reconciled all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's Colossians 1.20. That the cross is the center point of this, of this redemption model. And there are other ways to unpack this new relationship available in other pieces of the scripture. But the demonstration in verse 8 of 5 is Christ's death. We're supposed to feel it. We're supposed to remember what Paul has done in chapters 1, 2, and 3, that we don't earn our way to Jesus. He earned his way for us. This is all about Christ's work for us. And and when we believe and we have faith that this is happening, our faith in Jesus says that we we are justified by faith. That we don't shed our blood. We don't we don't do the work. It's 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 a gift that we simply receive. So we, we kind of pause on verse 8, and then we turn to verse 9 and 10. Because when we turn to verse 9 and 10, we, we don't forget the bloodshed, but it's more than blood, it's new life. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9, we, since we've now been justified by his blood, there's the blood again, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For while if we were enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of a son. How much more been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Five times in Romans 5, he used this phrase, much more. How, how much more? And this is where my friends that struggle with this penal substitution in the blood, like they've got a point because what Paul's saying in verse 9 and 10 is like, yes, the blood covers over our blood, but how much more does his life breathe into our life? How much more than, than we can even comprehend, Paul is saying. This is the life to which we are called. More than just death, it's new life. That everyone in the room, if we're going to be Christians, we must deal with our brokenness, our sinfulness, the fact that Christ died for me and for us this, the collectively, and yet we are being saved by more than his blood into his life Martin Luther, over wrestling with this passage, he, was, he understood that this justification by blood and faith was one of the key tenets of the faith, but for him it was personal. So when he came to Romans 5, the eureka with him was saying, Luther said, I'm now completely a sinner and yet completely just in God's sight. And so when we deal with the fact that we're sinners that we're like, oh, I need Christ's blood today to cover over my brokenness, but we can hunger for more than the blood, hunger for this new life. Sir Major Thomas, who's a huge influence in our senior pastor, Richard Dahlstrom. Sir Major Thomas was the founder of the Torchbearers Bible Schools around the country, and he's, he, he's a scholar about the indwelling power of Christ. And Sir Major Thomas says this, he says, this is the divine genius that saves a human from the futility of self-effort. It relieves the Christian of the burden of trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. 
If it were not for the divine provision, the call to Christ would be a source of utter frustration, presenting the sorry spectacle of a sincere idealist constantly thwarted by inadequacy. If you will but trust Christ, not only for the death he died in order to redeem you, but also for the life that he lives and waits to live through you, the very next steps you take will be taken in the energy and power of God himself. You will have become totally dependent upon the life of Christ within you. And never before will you have been so independent, so emancipated from the pressure of your circumstances, so released at least from the self-distrust that's made you at one moment an arrogant, loudmouth braggart, and the next moment the victim of your own self-pity and in bondage to the fear of others' opinions. This is the best news The best news that frees us from the pressure of trying to do it right. Because the gift of Christ's death and new life is meant to cover over our death and give us new life. His death for us. How do we do that? How do we we receive the victory? How do we receive the gift? Psalm 44 says, you're my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back the enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. But I put no trust in my bow, says the psalmist. My sword does not bring me victory. But you, God, give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. It is a gift. Does anybody need a gift this morning of more faith, of more hope, of more power? There's a gift to be received in the life of faith, says Paul. And Christ freely offers his blood and his life that it would live in us, that we would live not always reeking of death, but hopeful recipients of new life. Heather and I honeymooned in Italy. And that sounds maybe a little bit more highbrow than it was when we were 22 because we had backpacks and we were eating baguette and salami, and at a couple points, we slept in our car. I thought this was going to be a good idea. Was, guys, do not do the sleep in your car for a honeymoon. It was not a good idea. But much like the breakdowns help us enjoy the, the successes of life, the sleeping in our car, by the time we got to Cortona, Italy, man, we were so ready for some good news. We checked into a hostel, ran by some sweet nuns, and we walked into this little hillside Tuscan town, We went looking for dinner, as Americans do, at like 6 or 7, even though the locals eat at 9 or 10. We found this little, what we thought was kind of a hole-in-the-wall place. And what we discovered was we were in one of the finest restaurants in Cortona. They set the menu in front of me, and as I'm looking over the prices, I'm smiling because we've slept in a car the last couple nights. So, guys, you get, you, you know, I'm like kind of in makeup time right now. Like, yeah, anything you want, it's fine. I'm like, oh, wow, this is expensive. So we sit down, and we're at this fine restaurant, and we're ordering, and we, we have the appetizers in a first course and a second course, and there's wine, and, and they make in Tuscany this grappa, this liqueur with pressed wine skins. Like, bring the grappa. Why not? Remember, we slept in a car. I'm in makeup time, you know, and, and the whole time, I'm kind of feeling the bill creep up. We had, we had nothing in those years, but we saved to go on this trip. I could just feel my tension rising. I was less able to enjoy the moment because I could feel the bill getting more expensive. I don't know if any of you can relate to that or not. During the conversation of the dinner, we were just totally keyed into one another, and we met some other people nearby, some Americans traveling from San Francisco, and we were visiting and honeymoon, and they were, oh, yeah, we come here, we stay with a friend, just delightful people. Then we got back to the conversation the two of us were having 
over this amazing dinner. Again, the, bill, the bill's creeping up. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm kind of cognizant that I, we can afford it, but I'm like doing the math of like, we might be back in the car again tomorrow night, you know? And then the waiter comes, and my Italian is not great, but what he basically did was he set a bill on the table, and then he picked it up, and he wrinkled it up. Paid. Finito. Done. Those people that were sitting over there, they wanted to just give you a blessing, a gift to enjoy. Well, then I'm like, man, I should have ordered a fourth course, you know, <laughs> a bottle of wine for the road. You know, no. The point was, <clears throat> like, it was that much sweeter because we didn't have to pay for any of it. And in the life of faith, Paul's saying is, there's a gift to receive in Christ's death for us. Oh, yeah, that's the old story of when I came to faith at 6 or 12 or 18 or 22. Paul's saying, today, do you receive not just the death, but his life that he longs to live in you. And this is where we'll look at the first five verses. We're going backwards a little bit to look about how our suffering can teach us more about our faith in Christ. Verses 1 through 5 that Raul already read, but I'll just touch over it again here. Therefore, since we've been justified, we've been made just, not through our works, but through faith, like Abraham, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we've now stand. And that phrase there, you just, you need to meditate. If you're, if you're meditating at all right now, reading scripture slowly, just slow down in verse 2 this week, that you've gained access by faith, into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast, we'll rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we'll glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And thus, Paul deduces, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the spirit which has been given to us. Amazing piece of text here, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Amazing. That the, we don't rejoice for sufferings, we rejoice in suffering. That as Christians, we're not sadomasochists that just go out looking to hurt. We, we don't at all. And when those are marginalized people that are hurting in our society, people have been kind of ostracized or made fun of, like we're supposed to stand with them. Christians need to know how to hurt with brothers and sisters that have been, been subject to much, much you know, persecution. We don't, we don't rejoice for the persecution, but Paul's saying in persecution, in struggles, in, in, in pain, then we rejoice. How, Paul? That sounds so ridiculous. Because, says Paul, the rejoice can lead to the hope with more of God and less of ourselves. Here's the thing. We need more of God and less of ourselves. So much of our worry is born out of our predisposition to put ourselves in the throne of our own lives. But when we worship God, we're saying, God, in the midst of this present moment, I'm choosing to worship you even though the struggle is happening. Even though the pain, even though the waiting, even though the singleness, even though the marriages, even though the alcohol, even, you know, in the midst of the brokenness, God, I'm going to choose to worship you because my worry often comes from putting myself on the throne. I'm coming off the throne, God, and I'm putting you back on. I will choose to have faith, not for the persecution, but in it. Because I know that suffering and glory are interconnected. I know it. 
One theologian said this, that the problem with the church in the West is it has an inadequate view of suffering. And so let me say one thing to you, church, that maybe you'll remember on Friday morning. Real Christians need to know how to hurt, but will never let go of hope. And I think in equal measures that we've stopped as a church knowing how to hurt with brothers and sisters that are in pain, we're meant to feel it too. With the women of our society, we're meant to feel it too. With marginalized people in our society, we're meant to feel it too. May we be a church that knows how to hurt. But I said it two weeks ago. I said it in Ballard last Sunday. I'll say it in Shoreline again today. I'm worried that we've stopped hoping in Jesus. I'm worried about it. Oh yeah, we know how to hurt. And we're we're not going to give up our faith. But you want me to hope? That's a tall order right now. It's a tall, tall order. But the Christians that Paul's developing in the church of Rome, here we're preaching this message to us in the North King, South Snohomish County Church. They're Christians with people that know how in equal parts to hurt and to hope. And those things are not mutually exclusive. We will hurt when life is not as it should be. And we will hope that God has something to teach us in us and through this. We will not abandon hope. But how? It always comes down to that. How? Sounds great in a message. Well, in my own life, can I just, I'll share with you an illustration. Again, you know, my one spiritual gift is just honesty and being real with my own experience. So in my own life, I struggle at times to hold on to being able to hurt and to hope. About six months ago, this church got word that there was an empty church available in the Snow King area, Salem Lutheran Church. It's empty. They, the Lutherans, they, they moved on. The building's been empty. And we started to pray about it. We started to wait on God about it. I fasted. I waited. There was green lights. This is interesting. We talked as leaders. We started to pray as our local advisory team. We started to bring it in August to the congregation. This could be really good. Because eight years ago, we started in a community center, and then we went to a gym, and then we came to the school. But we're, we're hungry to put down roots you know, just this morning I was looking at this, this cross, which has been with us. One of my buddies built this for us. It's almost eight years old, and it's just, it's worn down. It's been in and out of a truck a thousand and five hundred times. Like, we're just so hopeful that God's going to give us this building It all made sense. The finances made sense. We had a meeting down at Salem Lutheran. We served lunch. People came. They had questions. The questions were answered. There's a gym. It's not big enough maybe, but we'll add services. There's not great parking. We create, like, it's all good. We're going to vote last Tuesday night. And, And as a council, like, this is a green light, baby. Until over the weekend, we reach out to the Salem folks, and they're like, Pump the brakes. Yeah, God's going to, you know, we're not really sure what we're going to do. We need some time, like, like a couple hours or no, like maybe months. Well, I got to tell you, how, how, like, what did you do? Like, when, you, when you're hoping for God to do something, what do you do? When, when I got that news last, uh, last Monday, I was in a meeting with Raul and Ali where we were planning the communication for moving into the building because it was just, we could just see it all taking shape. And when I got the news, I cried. At first I cried like just 
you know, kind of like the, this thing and like didn't really want them in the room because a lot of times when I hurt, I just want to be alone. And then I'm like, I can't, I can't hold it back. And, and then we prayed. And that mixture of prayer and tears and hope and hurt, like it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one. Because I, over the next week, I'm like, God, I'm so tired of, of carrying this bloody thing around. I'm so tired of, like, walking in and out of the church. And, you know, this thing, it, like, there's, there's cracks in it. It's so worn down. I'm so tired, God. What are you doing? And I know it's just a building. And for some of you, like, I don't really care that much. But I'm just letting you in from my journey. Like, it hurt so much because I felt like God was far from me. And what he's challenged me in the last week is, we may go to Salem. We may stay here. But it's got to be about him and all things. And I felt like this, like, it was hard for me, but I felt this encouragement to keep hoping. And that whether we move or not, as we wait, God's saying, pick the things you thought you could do there and get started now. Because the suffering, the waiting, the pain, the challenges, God says, I've got something for you now in the midst of your present struggles. People are asking me this morning, like, well, how are you doing? I'm telling you, I'm doing okay. Because God is reminding me that it's okay to hurt, but don't forget to hope. Because when we stop hoping, we close ourselves up to further revelation. And the point of the faith is more and more and more of Christ's life being poured out into our lives. So this is where we're at. Christ, teach me to to, to hope in you. Teach me, like verse 5 says, to live into this promise that it's, it's hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Spirit which has been given to us. Church, may you continue to believe in whatever difficulties you face that God's got more hope for you, more joy for you, and his spirit is being poured out into your lives as a gift. And I do not in any way want to alleviate pain or struggles we're going through as a congregation. But I want to have the audacity to continue to believe that we are secure in his love. We lost a great saint this week, Eugene Peterson. And Peterson says this, We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but we are secure because we trust that God is sure of us. And so when we hurt, we still hope. I could tell you 20 different examples in our life of hurting and hoping. And I'll just tell you one. Because a lot of this text comes down to the Father's love. We wanted to be parents. We spent almost a year battling infertility. And it's a battle that many of you in the room had faced or facing now. My heart is with you. It it was stealing hope. It was stealing joy. But we kept praying for a pregnancy. And month after month, we lamented as it did not come to pass. We were living in California at the time. Until right before we moved, we were getting ready to go. And I just share this because all of us have different breakthroughs. But we continued to hope. And the breakthrough for us was opening a box for my wife, and in it was a pregnancy test. You're going to be a father. Now, different breakthrough for everyone in your room. You're like, ah, that's not my breakthrough. I'm single. I want to be married. I'm married. Sometimes I want to be single. That's a different sermon. I'm, I'm looking for a breakthrough, God. Don't give up hope. 
Because in the waiting, in the life of Abraham and us as Christians, this is our story. God says, I've got something in the waiting, and the breakthrough will make it more sweet when you connect to the power source. Because you have hurt, learn to hurt, learn to hope, hold them in tension, all for this new promise of joy, this joy await as we're saved to his life. I don't have a ton of time to go into this. If you're looking at your Bible, verse 12 through 21, Paul does this thing, much like chapter 4 is this deep dive in Abraham. He talks entirely about Adam in verses 12 to 21, and it gets deeply theological, but very practical. Look at verse 18 through 21. Paul's bringing in the log, and consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, he's talking about the sin of Adam, so also one righteous act resulted in justification life for all people. We're contrasting Adam with Christ. The Christ's love and power and hope and joy and blood and new life supersedes the sin of Adam. For just as Through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, Christ, many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Key in on verse 20. That where the sin increased, grace increased all the more. And it's like, I don't have a tattoo. I'm kind of too old now. If I get a tattoo, people are going to roll their eyes like, want to be. But man, all the more might be up my forearm if I could. All the more. That the sin did increase. My own, I was part of the problem. I continue at times to dwell in pieces of my sinful nature. But when I live with Christ in me, all the more does his life live in me. And that's the old story being made just, but Paul's saying, receive it again and again and again. This is where the joy awaits. Look at verse 15. I don't have a slide. You have a Bible. We're going to use it. Verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more, much more, there it is again, did God's grace and the gift came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. The gift is not like the trespass. It's a gift. Do you see your effort here in this text? Do you see your devotions? Uh, keep looking at your Bible, please. Do you see your rule of life? Do you see your obedience? Do you see your, your call? Like, tell me where you are in the story. You're the recipient of a great love. It's all about his work for us that you can receive. You can't earn it, says, says Paul. God looks at you and says, you're good, Your sin has been removed. You've been given access to the Savior. How much more as you receive this new life of faith, live into it, covered by his blood, blessed by his life. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What is the power? Paul gets to it here in verse 11 of Romans 5. To me, it's, it's kind of the key verse in the section. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 in the New Living says this, we can now rejoice in our wonderful new relationship. We can boast, is the NASB, NIV. We can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus has made us friends with God. And this is the audacious challenge of Romans 5, that joy is the point of the Christian faith. How do we know? Because Jesus, in John 15, says, I've spoken these things to you, 
that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete, that your joy may be full. He said that before walking off to the cross. And so this pursuit of joy, not, not, not just eliminating any pain that must be suffered, but because of the gift of Christ's death and resurrection, we have this great gift that we get to step into. This is the best news, that real joy is available to us. Or as First Thessalonians says, that we're supposed to rejoice always. I don't know about you this, this week. For me, I, I need that kind of joy. I need that kind of power. I need the hope that in the midst of a world that feels chaotic and hurting, that somehow Christ is bringing joy through the fulfillment of his life and us, his church, his people. So Major Thomas says it's like buying a car with a powerful engine only to push it around town. Stop pushing and receive the gift of Christ's life that wants to live in you. The greatest news is Christ. I mean, I could tell you about oh, you know, when my wife said yes, or being a father, or, or career things, all those are good news moments, but the best news, saved by the life of Jesus Christ, who indwells me still. May we be a church in touch with this kind of joy, and stop pushing that vehicle around town, but get in and take a ride. We lived in Los Angeles. We shared a car. Heather was a student, and I worked 30 miles across town. I commuted 90 minutes each way. And we had this season where she was working, I was working. We need another car. Couldn't afford it. We need a gift. We need someone to be generous. One of my best buddies at the time from high school, he's living down there. He's like, I've got this extra car. You're welcome to drive it. Alfa Romeo Spider Convertible. This thing was about 25 years old. The top didn't even really function anymore, and there was leaves in it when I got it. But to me, it was so sweet. I would drive down to Marina Del Rey with the top down, driving down the 110, this 20-year-old vehicle, beeping at people, music blaring. I mean, I had hair in those days. Like, my hair was flowing. And the joy of this drive, like we took a normal mundane drive, but with the convertible, with this gift, there was so much joy available. Church, where does your joy flow from? What is the life that you cling to right now? What is the breakthrough and hope that you want God to help you hold on hope till the breakthrough happens? And how can you be challenged to hurt and hope in equal parts? How much more does he want to indwell your life with his love? That's the pursuit of Christ that we're sharing together. That's Romans 5. Let me say a prayer over, over this now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these words of your text to challenge and inspire us, to remember that we're recipients of a great gift, that this is the greatest news, that your blood flowed freely to cover us and that your life much more wants to bring life to our lives. Lord God, we are convicted in ways that we've given up hope. We are convicted in ways we look into the world and look into society and we feel hopeless. And yet, God, we're encouraged this morning. May we be encouraged that you're not done with us, that your life longs to dwell inside of us and make us recipients of this great gift of hope and peace and joy. And maybe this joy that we can challenge ourselves to tap into because of your life will be transformation on the lives of others. Lord, we stand in solidarity with those that are hurting this morning. And God, we hold out hope. 
that we would be people of joy. God, we love you. Thank you for this message this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song?